Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? There's a military coup in Turkey. Iraq invades Iran starting a 10-year war. And the Cuban government ends the Freedom Flotilla to Florida. This is September 1980 and you're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Rob brings this album to us. Wow. This is a true diva of rock and roll. Who's going to argue about that? A diva? <laughs> Patricia May Geraldo Andrewski, born in 1953 to a beautician and a sheet metal worker in New York. This is Pat Benatar's Crimes of Passion from September of 1980. This is a great album. This is one you need to have in your... In your and what a great voice too. I mean, she was she was legitimate rock and roll. Oh yeah, yeah. This is hit me with your best shot, which was the second single released from this album in September of 1980. It reached number nine on the Billboard charts. It was written by a guy named Eddie Schwartz, who worked with Joe Cocker, Carly Simon, and the Doobie Brothers. And he he said that he came up with this. He was going to a therapy session. And it encouraged uh, pillow punching. Hmm. And so he says, I went to a session where we punched the pillows for a while. It seemed kind of strange, but I remember walking outside of this therapy session, standing on the doorstep of this building in Toronto, and the title just came to me. Hit me with your best shot. <laughs> I haven't been to therapy since. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's one of those... Uh those songs that don't, you you can I can see that in an aerobics class yeah. Yeah. somewhere where they're doing a lot of you know. that was a great guitar you just heard that guitar riff that was yeah. a great guitar riff yeah I mean, that one just went yeah this song should be famous to any guitar hero players oh, yeah. anywhere so the guitarist that you're listening to is Neil Giraldo he and Pat Benatar are married right. And have been since right after this album worked. Yes, out. they were not married during this album, but she, they got married in 1982. Yeah. Her first husband was in the army, and his name was Dennis Benatar. Oh golly, I was hoping you were going to say John. <laughs> and he got a dear John letter. Right. Yeah. So she kept his name. He was in the army. They went up to Fort Lee, Virginia, and she started work as a bank teller in uh, Richmond, Virginia. That was her, her first uh, job. Okay, this next song, I want you to listen and tell me who you think this sounds a little bit like. It's got de- definitely a different feel. It's a deeper cut from this album. This feels Southern I, rock. To I me. kind of, I kind of felt like "Free for All" by Ted Nugent. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I, can see that. I was thinking like Pat Travers band. Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. I was kind of thinking Leonard Skinner a little bit. 
I picked this one because it's a deeper cut, uh, but I like the sound of it. Uh, another uh, one that she has on this album I almost did was Treat Me Right, yep. but I decided to do this instead. Yep. Well, you know, but think about Pat Benatar that I remember when I was really in, you know, still I love to hear her sing. She's one of the very few professionally trained right. singers. Yes. She is, you don't find that very often in rock music. Her mom, the beautician, was actually, she sang some opera. And so Pat Benatar started off singing opera in high school. Okay. And she said in an interview that the neighborhood kids would get mad at her for singing and throw rocks at her window to get her to quit singing and come outside and play. <laughs> but she was she was a dancer. She was a drama queen. She was into all that stuff. She was going to go to the Juilliard School, but just decided she didn't want to do that. She went into sex education at Stony Brook. So was at college for a year, dropped out, married her high school sweetheart, Dennis Benatar. And as I said, they ended up in uh, Richmond, Virginia. So she was working as a bank teller, and she saw Liza Minnelli at, in concert. And she said, you know, I need to do this. She, she said she was looking around the audience. She got fit. Yeah. She's like, I need to get back into it. So she ended up at a Holiday Inn as a waitress in a cocktail bar. And we thank her for her business. <laughs> <laughs> that much is true. She was playing for a little band called the Roaring Twenties. She got into a band called Coxon's Army, hmm. and they were like a cabaret feel. And she just kind of decided, uh, I guess, she wanted to do something different. So she left, her husband left Richmond, Virginia, and went to New York City where the action was. Now, you, talk, you went down that list of things that she was. She was also a leader in fashion. I mean, the whole the whole leotards, the, 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 the headbands. headbands. Uh, the leg warmers, didn't she also get some of the leg warmers? I think or that was Olivia like Newton-John, wasn't oh, okay. it? But she did, but Pat Benatar did that. She went to this club called Catch a Rising Star. She got noticed and got a manager, ended up with Chrysalis Records. And in this interview from Behind the Music, the president of Chrysalis Records said she sounded good, but didn't look like a rocker. So she kind of had this, yeah. she had a great voice, mm -hmm. and she's really small. And she ended up playing a gig on Halloween and dressed up, took on a dangerous persona, and had this amazing response. And people uh, went nuts. What movie was that that all the, all the girls in high school were Fast Times at Richmond High. That's right. Yes, sir. They all look like Pat Benatar. Yeah. They all look like They're her. in the school cafeteria. They, yeah. they made the cover. Oh, all these people dressed like Pat Benatar. She didn't have that look. And so she, she went to this Halloween thing, and they loved it. And she goes, okay. But that said, she, was really, she really had to fight this male-dominated Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, oh, sure. there was only the runaways. There yeah. weren't really a whole lot of female-led groups. The Heart was probably the only other one out there. Oh, talking about, kind of, this is a rough song. This is a rock, rock song. Neil Giraldo is one of my favorite guitarists. I'm this sorry. This is You Better Run, and it's a cover. I it, didn't know that. The Rascals did it. Ah, okay, I can see that. Yeah. I think she just does a great job with this. I like her version better than theirs. Oh, yeah. Theirs is worth a listen. Well, she just hit, too, right at the time. I mean, September 1980, you've got a real transition going on because disco is falling off and rock is just starting. And what else was just starting? 
What else was right just now? Done? MTV this, would be in '81. Oh M- yeah, that MTV makes sense. started with what song? Video killed the radio star. Ah, the I know second where song ever played on MTV was this. Oh, oh that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, well played. So Pat Benatar was the first woman, the first American, and the first rocker on MTV. I saw that stat and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know what though, Pat Benatar is. She has a face for video. Oh, Definitely. my goodness. She is a knockout. I, Cindy and I have a friend that we went to high school with. Her name was Casey Naylor. Now her name's Casey Starr. She looked like Pat Benatar. Really? I mean, if you look at her face, yep. you would think Pat Benatar. And she, you know, like we said, everybody well, kind of took on that persona a little bit. I can't remember. Was it Wayne? Were you the one that mentioned that the she was a fashion icon? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That haircut yes. was really big in the early 80s. Now, I, I've seen Pat Benatar in concert uh, that came to Auburn. She was pregnant at the time. I think we, I mentioned this in a previous podcast. Yeah, yeah. But she was pregnant singing. She was still belting it out. It was a rock and roll concert. I think it was like an 85, and it was it was tremendous. If you get a chance, go see Pat Benatar. She's on my bucket list. I have yet to see her. This is a disservice that she is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Listen to that voice. And she, like I said, she's small, but she can belt it out. She was constantly fighting this whole that record industry wanted her to flaunt her sexiness. So she's walking this line and trying yeah. not to go over the edge. And there's some interesting things in the documentaries where there was some images they used of her where it looked like she was naked, but she wasn't. But they just kept kind of messing with her persona that way. But I think that's the sexism that all of the female artists had to deal with. Yeah, they did. They didn't want to sell them as musicians. They want to sell them as sex object, right. objects. It's funny. She said during the shooting of this video, she didn't like taking direction from the film geeks. And then she realized the bad attitude was exactly what we needed for this song. I came across as extremely sassy and aggressive, which is perfect for the lyric and for the image I was trying to project. (laughs) What a great ending to that song. Yeah, isn't that great? Uh, So this is a great song, too. Terribly, terribly sad. I got a story behind this whenever you guys, after you introduce the song. So this was written by Neil Giraldo, and it's actually his favorite song. And people thought this was about sending children to hell. They were getting some pushback. It's hell is for children. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the lyrics, oh, no, pretty quickly you understand yeah. what it's about. She saw this series in New York about abused children having to like being kept in closets and all this stuff. And so it really touched her. And so, so she got together with Neil and they wrote this song and I mean it's you know leave it to a female rock artist to create something around child abuse and and they actually started a foundation for abused children and she says people still come up and say you have no idea what this means Mm -hmm. well my story in this is that at Auburn you knew that there was an easy A you had to have electives so an easy A was called family human development so of course you knew it was mostly teachers in there, so I took the class because, hey, you could get, get some easy dates, and it was an easy A. And one of the things we had to write a paper about kids and everything, and I just did songs about music. And we had, you know, uh, stuff from The Wall at the time that came out. Yeah. And then I did this song, and I got an A on it. Of course, I got an A in the class, too. But I used this song as one of the things that the, the teacher obviously was, you know, quite a bit older and was not really 
in touch with current music, and she just went, "Man, this is great! This I, I can't believe this song actually is out there and everything else." But yeah, it it is about child abuse. Yep. I mean, obviously we'd have Luca a little bit later. I mean, there's there's a lot of songs that were like this that had that that theme of, of children getting abused. Listen to this line. I mean, I, that back in the day, I mean, I got hit with a belt all the time. I mean, I was afraid of my dad, and I don't know if anybody else was, but I mean, I had an alcoholic father, and he he would well on me. I mean, I just it was just like, oh my goodness, come on, calm down. I'm I'm eight years old. You shouldn't be beating the crap out of me, you know. And that's what happens, you, yeah. You know, and I made sure I didn't do that to my daughter. Yeah, you want to, you got to break that. it. You yeah, gotta break it. What were you, what were you saying, Bruce? Well, I was I was just gonna say, and especially with this part coming up. Geraldo is definitely a an underrated oh, hell guitarist. Yeah. His his guitar work is fantastic. There you go, right here. But I think to your point, Bruce, and, and what you said earlier, Rob, he wrote this, but I hear the passion in his playing here because of how he felt about the subject matter. And she's singing about it, too. So that's right. why I've always been attracted to some because they are truly playing it in, in Displaying their passion. Yeah, this is an right. emotional song. This. Is, oh yeah. You can you can tell this hit deep with her. Oh yeah. But this point, but listen to him. He's just wailing. Though. Yeah. So she and Geraldo were getting closer as they were in the band, and and uh, she divorced Benatar in 1979. I thought it was funny she kept his name. I guess it was better than Andrewski. <laughs> <laughs> and then she and Geraldo got married in 1982. The rest of the band members are uh, Scott Slate Player Sheets on rhythm guitars, Roger Cap on bass and backing vocals, and Myron Grombacher on drums. So she was the only female in the band, but she she drove that band. I mean, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really something. I want to I want to point out that on her debut album before this, in the heat of the night, she had some covers. I need a lover, yep. written by John Mellencamp. And Don't Let It Show, written by the Alan Parsons Project. Those are really good. Wait a second. Did you say she did I Don't Need a Lover? I Need a Lover. I Need, I a, need lover. a Lover. Who Don't Drive Me Crazy. Yes. I'm going to have to listen to that. that it, they be... played on the radio. Okay. Yeah. But yeah it's, it's, it's easily downloadable. Yeah. Great albums. Great artists. I mean, Fire and Ice, Shadows of the Night, Love is a Battlefield, We Belong, Sex is a Weapon. I mean, every album she put out had great hits. It's good to learn more about her. We'll, we should cover some of those, and I can share a little bit more. Put it on your bucket list like I am, and go see her in concert. Oh, what a great ending. Boom. And now we're going to keep on rocking with... Wait a minute. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to our entertainment track brought to us by Right Collin Financial, and this is the TV theme song to Cosmos. Cosmos. Billions and billions. It premiered in <laughs> September 1980. Carl Sagan was the guy involved with this on PBS. And if you remember, you couldn't go anywhere without watching this this TV show about learning how insignificant we are. There's always been that undercurrent of geekdom out there. Yes. I feel like I'm in the planet Arium. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's go back to rock, Wayne. Let's rock, guys. Sounds like some live rock. Some live rock. 
You remember, the, you know what that chord is, but I love, this is the life of, this is the Ray Davies. Oh, come on, play it. Play it. Yeah, we want to hear it. Come on. Oh, it wasn't that good. Hey, I wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to play the song, Ray? So, uh, so uh, because uh, we're not going to play that well tonight. Anyway. Oh, what? no. No, no, no. Come oh, on. Oh, no. Come on. You can do it. All right, we'll do it. Oh, good, Yay. good, good, good. Yeah, good. Uh-oh. Oh, we're going to join in, guys. We're going to sing along with him. Sing with this song. Uh, Listen to this riff. Wow. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kinks. Is that a 12-string? Nope, it's a 6. Wow. It's, this is the Kinks. One for rich. the Road, their live concert from 1980. And this is just a wonderful. It's on video now, too. If you want to get it on video, you can go to YouTube. If oh, really? You want to, oh, yeah. And you can buy the DVD. Mm-hmm. This is at the That's height of live albums. Oh, and this yeah. is one of my favorite live albums. So Absolutely. go get this live album. It, it has all the kink hits from 80 and before. This is Lola. And I love the way he says it here. Ah, love that. Is he saying L-O-L-A or L-O-L-A? <laughs> L O L A is for Lola. It's in the. It's a lot slower in the in the uh, studio version, but you know I mean, what, just, I, what I like about this song. This song was censored for radio. Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't censored for what you think. I was just about You're to cover that. Go, Thank okay, you, Bruce. In the BBC, you know, he says just like just like Coca Cola was on the album, right? But BBC wouldn't play it. Because it had a major company a brand to it, a brand. So he had to fly over back to the UK to re-record that same, say, like Cherry Cola. Is that what you're going to talk oh, about? Exactly I've it. heard Cherry Cola. Oh, yeah. That's well, what you saw, the former, former person who used to work for Coca-Cola <laughs> would know that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So the BBC is the one who put, you know, put that into place. Well, obviously, this song is about a girl. He thinks it's a girl, mm-hmm. but it's truly a guy. And that was very, very risque at that time. I Absolutely. mean, there's, I mean, I mean, I think what, there's, there's only, I only know one other song that has this that was at the time back in that day. Where was song? What was that song, Wayne? Velvet Underground did it. Um, wild Side. Wild Side. Wild Side. Walk on the Wild Side. That's right. And it's referring to the same person. Really? Is yes. it really? All wow. of our listeners are going. Walk on the wild side. <laughs> Well, remember, uh, we're talking about, you know, basically talking about an, uh, an experience at a club in Paris that he had. He meant it was a blonde. And so they, it turns out, he really didn't notice that it was a guy until he went outside the bar and he saw the razor stubble. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he just kind of, but he knew how to draw people into the song. So he didn't come out and say, oh, you know, I feel it. But, you know. At the end, he reveals, like, you know, girls will be boys, boys will be girls. It's a mixed-up world. And then he finally says. I have a story if you want me to do that. All right. All right. Um, We took a friend to a strip club close by here. It's uh, called the Claremont Club. uh, Claremont Lounge. Claremont Lounge. And it is uh, kind of really kind of almost a dive strip club. And and some guys, he'd been to other strip clubs. I go, well, you've never been to the Claremont Lounge. And it's here in Atlanta, and it's notorious for a lot of things. Well, 
one of the guys was there, you know, he didn't know any better, and there was a stripper up there, and I could see the, the throat. Adam's apple. Adam's apple, and I just went. And I wasn't that drunk. The guy next to me was, so I kept on giving him dollar bills to give to the, to the guy. <laughs> Finally, after about the fifth dollar bill, he goes, and the bottom didn't come off, and he goes, I think that was a guy. <laughs> We know we were talking about the "Take a Walk on the Wild." That's Lou Reed's song. Yes, but it was basically inspired by the, you know, her name was Candy Darling, or his name was Candy Darling, and that's who Lee, you know, Ray Davies uh, was inspired by, and there was some speculation that they dated for a while, but Davies was quick to say no. It was not of it. course he was quick to say yeah. no. When was this originally recorded? 1970. Okay. But the thing is, Davies was so good at, at just finding songs mm-hmm. that people, you know, they'll hear throughout oh, the Oh, yeah. Right. He, and the, the litmus test for this song, back when he was writing it, he, he wanted to come up with a chord and something that he was doing la, 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 and then he went la, 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 la. His little one-year-old and two-year-old, at the time she was two years old, mm-hmm would sing it to him, la, 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 la. So he knew he had a hit when yeah. his little two-year-old uh-huh. daughter would sing, la, 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 la. That's a good one. Thanks, the live Brian. version's the best. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that we're mo- moving on with our staff picks, we're going to move to Wayne, and he's got a good one here. This is my favorite song by this artist. It's Peter Gabriel. And we know Peter from Genesis. Yep. And he left Genesis and started his own um I guess one name albums, yep. all of them were named. Oh, that's right. We Peter covered Gabriel. Yeah, we covered one of them. And this is Games Without Frontiers. And you, you know what he's saying right here? I believe that's Jean Sans Frontiers. That's correct. And that is what? Games Without Frontiers. In French. And he got the TV, the, 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 the name from this song. From a TV show that was uh, broadcast, I didn't know it was in Europe, which basically um, people from different towns would represent them, the town, in uh, games of skill, and they had to dress in bizarre costumes. Imagine that, Peter Gabriel dressed in bizarre (laughs) costumes, you know, and the British version was called It's a Knockout, Oh, Oh. and he says that here in Right here, I believe. There you go. It's a knockout. I love this song. That line, too. If looks could kill, they probably will. So, basically, it's it's a song about how juvenile all these different people of different countries act. And so, you know, we, we, we were in the Cold War then. And all these people is just—they're just basically political leaders behaving like children in all these mm. uh, I'm glad matters we've of war. That. Yeah, yes. really. Hear that voice in the background? You guys know a woman named Kate Bush? I was gonna say oh, Kate Bush. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize she was this early on because yes. she she had plays a prominent role in uh, in in future albums too. I had a friend who thought the words there were "she's so popular." Oh, <laughs> okay. She's I can so see that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is Peter Gabriel really before this song was sort of a cult figure. You know, I mean, even Genesis really during the whole Peter 
Gabriel phase was oh, yeah. sort of like this really avant-garde a show thing. Yeah. yeah, show. And this kind of changed over to more of like, you know, a, a top 10 guy. Pop. Now, this song was did not crack the top 40 here in the United States, though it did in the UK. So, uh, but I remember this one growing up, and this, I mean... Oh, it's, it's a great, a great song. Love I mean, it. Like I said, that that whole thing is. I mean, the whole well, thing. Adolf builds a bonfire, and that clicked to me. I'm going, oh my goodness, he's yeah. talking about the Holocaust here. Yeah. You know, Enrico played with it. You know, I'm just going, okay, wait a minute. He's got the the whole, you know, Italy thing. So. Well, the the other thing is, you've got this the percussion, this kind of a world feel chant yeah. kind of thing going on and you'll hear that over and Very over in Peter Gabriel music Wayne real quick Kate Bush did a song called Wuthering Heights mm-hmm. and Pat Benatar actually covered it on Crimes of Passion oh, so really? if you get Crimes of Passion listen to Wuthering Heights wow that's a Pat callback Pat Benatar did a great job on that oh wow well, the video for this, if you go and watch it, we'll have it on on What the Riff. Uh, shows scenes from a 1951 educational film called <laughs> Duck and Cover. Oh, that's and it awesome! As a cartoon turtle instructing you know, the children of the United States to do in case of a nuclear attack. And I mean, a little something interesting, but get that under that was, desk, that sturdy desk that'll protect you from radiation. And yeah. so, in September 1980, you could hear Peter Gabriel "Games Without Frontiers." Awesome. All right. Thanks, Wayne. I appreciate that. That's that's a great one. We're going to uh, flip it over to Bruce. He's going to share a little bit with us. Who do we yeah. have here? little minor key action going. Yeah. Have you ever been down to the Woolly Swamp, Bruce? <laughs> you better not go at night. <laughs> going to step a little bit into the south, folks. So this is, uh, this is the second single. From the album Full Moon, the first I already profiled in in America. This is one called The Legend of the Woolly Swamp. It, the single was released in August of 1980, and so it was on the charts in September of 1980. Yeah, let's go look for a Bigfoot. Come on, who's in? <laughs> You think with all the trail cameras that are out there, you think you'd finally there, have pictures of those? There really is a place called the Woolly Swamp. Oh, really? Yeah. So Charlie Daniels, as a kid, he hunted at Woolly Swamp at night. Wow. And he kind of was inspired to write the song because of the. Um, he said the swamp just takes on a different, a different tone at night. Yeah, I bet. So it's a story song, kind of like Devil Went Down to Georgia. And that was kind of what he was looking for, he was going for with the song. And he's talking about a guy named Lucius Clay that lived in the Woolly Swamp. And he's kind of this Scrooge figure, you know, just, just a weird kind of guy. And, and he would, here it is. Just a greedy old man, and that's all there was to it. And he would he'd get his money and he'd bury it in mason jars. And every once in a while, he'd dig it up just to just to run look his at it. fingers through it. Yeah, and he lived in this old shack, right? So that's kind of the idea. He I've lived heard in the woolly swamp. That in the swamps, you can hear the gators at night bellowing and that kind of thing. That would be odd, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Not to mention the eyes reflecting back. Oh, sure. Uh, looking out there. Cable boys was white trash. These guys were going to come out and uh, and ah. kill 
Lucius and take his money. So that's kind of the, the story. What is not about Bigfoot? Not about Bigfoot. Oh, man. But the no best, Bigfoot in this. The best part, though, Bruce, is what happens after the boys kill him. Yes. And we're going to hear about we'll that. We'll get to that. <laughs> so where is the Woolly Swamp? It's a good question. So, well, now we're getting to the part where they kill Lucius and they take his money. I will get to that. Woolly Swamp. Woolly Swamp is in uh, is in North Carolina. Okay. Probably not many gators there then. No. Ooh. So they kill him, and they take his money, and then they get caught in quicksand. <laughs> you know, back in those days, every time I went anywhere, I was afraid of quicksand because you know, every, I mean, I, I learned that in Gilligan's Island. That's right. Quicksand is always a threat. And now the. The, the the ghost of of oh. Lucius Clay and the ghost of the boys that stole from him will come up. I love that. You can hear you young men screaming. You can hear one old man laugh. Wow. Sounds like we got a camping expedition to go to. Well, we could do that. <laughs> we could do that. Because today, Woolly Swamp is the name of a farm campground and RV park <laughs> in Raleigh. So if you want to go to the Woolly Swamp and camp, you can do that. All right. But it's pretty much quicksand free at this point. Oh, gosh. Is it KOA? Or is it? Or is it? (laughs) Whatever you do, don't go out there at night. Don't go out there at night. Great guitar. He's and, and CDB is such a good storyteller. That's the may thing. he re- the time of this recording. May he rest in peace. Indeed. All right. Great. We're going to move it back around to the guy who brought us the album, and his staff pick is Wait, what? Rob. Let me get my phone. This. Oh, it's not my phone. <laughs> this is one of my ringtones. <laughs> so, oh, it is. Yeah. Listen to this. You got. Two, three. I mean, the guitar beat, the synthesizer. This is Turn It On, Turn It On Again by Genesis. Isn't it ironic that we featured Peter Gabriel, and now we're also having Genesis? Yeah, his former group. Before before the episode, I said, I'm going to have to look for a Mike and the Mechanics song. (laughs) I love this. All I need is a TV show, that and the radio. It's a great, it's a great little story. This is from their 1980 album Duke, and it was the second top ten hit by the band. I really, I was thinking about this when I saw the list. I think this is my all-time favorite song from Genesis. It's a good I really one. do. I agree with you. Mike Rutherford wrote it about a man who does nothing more than watch television. He becomes obsessed with what he's seeing, and he starts to believe that these people are his friends. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's all of the year 2020. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, appropriate. I saw, a, um, I saw a note that said it referred to this as uncharacteristically complex for pop music, but common in this band's progressive rock. Yeah, that, yeah. This, is, this is the borderline, right? This is where Genesis is... They're, they're, they're definitely prog rock, but it's a little more accessible. You'll appreciate this, Bruce. Uh, this is in 13-8 time. Nothing wrong with a little 13-8 time. Phil Collins says, 
you can't dance to it. You see people trying to dance to it every now and again. They get off the beat, but they don't know why. And Tony Banks says, you can't dance or clap along to it because of that time signature. When we play it live, you always see the audience getting caught out. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, this... This is a, there was an interview called A Curious Interview, and they said that this song was built from leftovers from other projects by each member. So part of this was by Tony Banks, part of this was Rutherford, part of this was Phil Collins, and they just kind of put these pieces together to make it. It's great. Listen to that drum. I love that little part, that da-da, da-da. This is definitely one that I would play in the car, and that's contributing to my hearing loss. Yes, I can tell you that. Yes, mine too. These guys just did so well. I mean, yes, with Peter Gabriel, it was great. They just continued to light it up. All right, here's a question for us all. Preference on the lead singer, Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins? I'll link to Phil Collins myself. For yeah. Genesis, Phil Collins. Mainly because the, the the songs that I enjoy from Genesis are Phil Collins. Yeah, songs. I would agree with that. And we all agree. But I love Peter Gabriel's oh, I do solo too. work. But I like him better as a solo artist. I do too. That's interesting. We all agree on that. That's two great lead singers, but Phil Collins is definitely our choice. I can show you some of the people in my life. It's driving me mad. It's just another way of passing the day. <laughs> turn it on. Turn it on again. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. I Thank like you. the background on that. Yeah. Too. I didn't know that. So now we're going on to our instrumental to close out this episode from September of 1980. This one was suggested by Bruce. Yeah. So this this is an instrumental piece. Um, Very and cool. It's from George Benson. Very jazzy. Yes. Well, George Benson was kind of jazz. He was doing, uh, he was on the charts at the time. He was doing things like Give Me the Night. Yeah. Things like that. Oh, yeah. It sounds like that. Yeah. So uh, so I thought this would be a good one to to finish off the episode with. Well, we take this time to catch up what we didn't get to earlier. Top hits of September 1980, Upside Down by Diana Ross. Boy, you turn me. Oh, Mm. my goodness. This is a song that I don't know. I kind of like, but it's it's one I kind of rolled the windows, but it's a guilty pleasure. (laughs) All Out of Love by Air Supply. Oh, (laughs) I'm, su- I'm so lost without you. We my haven't done an air supply song yet. <laughs> and oh, we won't. my goodness. Wayne, I, I, you're really revealing a lot there. Another one bites the dust. Yeah. And the other one's gone. Fame, Irina Carroll. And Looking for Love, Johnny Lee. And music of September 1980s. Sadly, John Bonham had died. and was found dead by uh, John Paul Jones. Oh, that was in 80. Yeah. yeah, there's several died in 1980. Yeah. yeah, Bob Marley played his last concert in Pittsburgh, and then Elton John played a free concert in Central Park for 400,000 people, and he came on the encore dressed as Donald Duck. Donald Duck, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Peter Gabriel and Elton John, there was a lot of similarities there. Yeah. yeah. All right, some of the albums that came out in September 1980, The Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. Kate Bush had her album out, yeah. Never Forever. Uh, David Bowie, Scary Monsters. That was a really good one. John Cougar, we talked about that. Scary Monsters. I mean, uh, nothing, ma- nothing Matters and What If It Did. The Doobie Brothers, One Step Closer. That was a big yeah. album that came out there. Ozzy Osbourne had Blizzard of Oz. Blizzard of Oz. That's we right. covered that one. 
Madness had absolutely. I, I don't know if that had middle of the street. Cool in the game. Celebrate. Yeah. Well, that's a classic song. Molly Hatchett beating the odds, and I think we're going to do that as a album picks eventually. Kansas Audio Visions and George Jones. I am what I am. And well, what was he? <laughs> I don't know, and that's all what he am. <laughs> all right, some of the movies that came out in September 1980, Battle Beyond the Stars. It's a space opera featuring Richard Thomas, Robert Vaughn, and George Bepard and John Saxon. I saw Saxon. that. It's, it's quite bad. <laughs> Is that John Boy? It's Richard quite Thomas? bad yeah. in a good yeah, way. John yeah. <laughs> good night, John Boy. All right, <laughs> The Gods Must Be Crazy. That's a that? cult classic. That's yep. the one with the Coca-Cola bottle. Yes, indeed. He, he wanted to throw it back to the gods because it came out of the air, and it fell down and hit him right back on the noggin. But it was a cherry Coke bottle in the U.K. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> cherry Cola, not oh, Coke. Yes. <laughs> My Bodyguard with Matt Dillon and Adam Baldwin. You guys remember that? I remember that. Yeah. Stardust Memories, Woody Allen movie. Ordinary People was the big, big one yep. that came out. That was the one uh, with Robert Reffer as a director and uh, Donald Southern, Mary Tyler Moore, and Judd Hirsch, and Timothy Hutton. I, I want to say that was like the big one that uh, won the Oscars. Well, this has been September 1980. You've been listening to What to Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to What the Riff? We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Collin Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?